Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. The last time I was with you, we were going through Colossians. In the letter to Colossians so far, Paul has greeted the church and uh, encouraged them. Paul was encouraged by them and, and, and commended them for showing their faith and having a firm foundation that Epaphras had laid for them, the man who had pastored, or uh, had, was pastoring the church and had planted the church. And Paul was encouraged by them, even though he hadn't seen them face to face. Now that he's greeted the church and encouraged them and given his initial thanksgiving in the beginning of the letter, he's going to move on to exalt who Jesus is. And it might seem kind of strange that Paul will jump right into an ancient-sounding hymn, this kind of song of who Christ is and what he has done in creation in his lordship over the world and over his church and his acts of salvation. But given the situation that the church was in, who were being pushed and pulled from empty philosophies and false teachings, it makes perfect sense that he's going to start this way. When I was growing up, my mom was the director of VBS. Uh, for those of you who might not know, Vacation Bible School, or VBS for short, was a summer program that uh, took place over a week and had games and snacks and Bible teachings and lessons for the kids. And my mother was director over this literally the, from the year I was born until I think my first year in grad school. And one of the things that we would love to do was do a fundraiser for our missionaries or for some other cause in the church. And the way that we would do this, my mom came up with this idea of collecting pennies from the kids. You know, it's, kids are going to uh, be, it's an easy ask for pennies. Kids are probably going to be able to find some in the laundry room or get a couple pennies from their parents. And we would take these pennies and put them in the offering buckets. They were literally these five-gallon buckets. And we'd have a bucket for the girls' team and a bucket for the boys' team. And then we'd put them on these big scales that we had made. Uh, and we'd weigh them and see which bucket was heavier. And the heavier team's bucket would win that night. And often these buckets were completely full of pennies. I mean, these kids really got into it. One night, I remember vividly that they, uh, one bucket was so heavy that it literally broke these solid wood scales that we had built. It snapped the scale in half. So these kids had fun and got really into fundraising and, and getting their pennies in and competing against each other. But now my mom, and by extension me and my sister and other volunteers, now had the responsibility for counting and sorting this massive, scale-breaking amount of pennies. But, you may not believe me, but this was actually a fond memory for me. I remember getting to talk with my family and the other workers there as we would count these thousands of pennies. But... It wasn't all fun and games. There was a specific challenge we had to look out for. We had to make sure that none of these pennies were counterfeit or wood chips or Canadian uh, currency. And we got good at this. We got really good at this. We excelled at this because we practiced a lot. We spent so many hours looking over what a real penny was, getting the size of it, the weight, the feel of it, 
it became almost natural for us to distinguish this is a wood chip, this is a Canadian penny, uh, this is a real penny. We didn't even have to look in most cases. We could tell just by the feel of the penny, this is a real penny. And that's kind of what Paul's doing here in our passage today in 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 15 to 20. He's exalting Christ. He's telling what's true of Christ to the church of the Colossians so they would know more about him so they could distinguish between any lies or false teachings or vain philosophies. The best way to spot a heresy is to know the truth. The best way to spot a lie is to know what's true. So Paul begins exalting Christ as creator in Colossians 1. Uh, it says in Colossians 1, starting in verse 15, He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. The first aspect that Paul zooms in on here in this poetic explanation of who Jesus is is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the perfect image of God. We learn in John 14, verse 9, that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And Jesus says to know him is to know the Father perfectly. He's revealed the Father to us. Colossians 1 then goes on to say, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, it can be very easy for you to get tripped up here. You want to make very certain that you're understanding this passage correctly. There are many intelligent church leaders and theologians that get tripped up here. Back in church history, there was a man named Arius, and he wrongly concluded via this and other scriptures that Jesus being firstborn of creation meant that Jesus was part of creation. Arius would teach that there was a time when Jesus didn't exist, but that he was the most supreme being of God's creation. This was rightly deemed heresy by the early church, false teaching. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is not created. Instead, he is eternal. He is co-equal with the other members of the Trinity, the Father and the Spirit. And Colossians 1, 15 to 20, is not saying that Jesus was the first created being by saying he's firstborn. Neither is Paul saying that God gave birth to Jesus. That's not what it means by him being the son of God. The reason that Paul is using this is that he's saying there's a primacy to Jesus. That Jesus is supreme and sovereign over all things. That, that he's God. So why use this confusing phrase of firstborn then, Paul? Firstborns gain an inheritance. And I think that's what Paul's keying into here. What Paul is saying is, Jesus being firstborn of all creation means that he's the heir of all creation. He's the one to whom all creation will submit. He is the king over creation. He is the head over creation. And one day will inherit all thrones and kingdoms and people and nation. They'll be presented to him and he will rule over them as is his right. It's in his inheritance. So Paul goes on to explain that Jesus is the one who created all things. This helped you previously 
in the last verse to understand that firstborn doesn't mean a created being. Because if Jesus was a created being, then verse 16 here just doesn't make any sense. Because if in him all things were created, in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities, if all things were created through him and for him, if everything in the world that exists, invisible or not, was created by Christ, then Christ can't be a created being. Everything you see today, every blade of grass, every palm tree, every rock, all the food that you're eating, the, even the rain that we had this weekend, everything was created by Jesus. He is not created. He is the creator, eternal. And because Jesus creates everything, that includes these powers and dominions and rulers and authorities. Because he created everything, he rules over everything. All things depend on him and everything finds its source in him. While the Colossians' heresies and false philosophies and vain teachings that are pushing against the Colossian church are trying to get the Colossians to rethink the gospel foundation that they had, getting them to think that they needed more added to their faith or that they needed to have a spiritual celestial being mediate their prayers to God, which was a popular uh, philosophy of the day, Paul confronts this, instead teaching that all these powers and beings depend on Christ for their existence, and all of them are submissive to him. So then if you have Christ, if you depend on Christ, if you confess to Christ, you have all you need. You don't need another spiritual celestial being to intercede on your behalf. You don't need some special wisdom to understand who God is and to be right with him. Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior. Cling to him. Run to him. Worship him who is Lord and God over all earthly powers. You don't need any special spiritual rituals or practices or celestial beings to grow in your faith. You need Christ alone. I think a helpful illustration that Christ is sufficient because he's creator and he's created all things is when we create things ourselves. When we do ceramics to make a pot, when we knit together a scarf or build a house, these things don't then dictate and control our lives. How many are you going, of you are going to now listen to your scarf or your house or your pot for wisdom and how to live? Do any of you go to these things as your Lord and Master and say, what should I do? Are they a good source of wisdom to you? No, of course not. They're your creation. You made them, you smash them, you move them, you gift them to whoever you want. You have ultimate authority over them because you're more powerful than them. They belong to you. And that's analogous to Christ and him creating all things, including these powers and principalities and authorities that the false teachers are saying, go to them. All those things are subservient to Jesus. He's Lord and Master over them. And he controls all of them because he created them. He gets to decide what to do with them. He gets to tell them what to do to move over here and over there. He, his will uh, is over them. So if you have Christ, 
why would you need to consult lesser philosophies or engage in, uh, with these spiritual beings? That's what Paul is pushing on here. Paul moves on to call his readers to submit to Christ as king. Starting in verse 17 of Colossians, we read, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Christ holds all things together. This means that he is more active and involved in creation than maybe a deistic understanding of God would say. If you're not familiar with the deistic understanding of God, it was very popular in America, especially in the 17 and 1800s. It was this idea that God created the world and then kind of just walked away and let it, let it be. That God built the house and, and went and did his own thing. And that is not the way that, that the Bible pictures God when it talks about him as creator. Christ being the one who created all things means he's the one who holds all things together, even now. Every electron, every atom is held in place because of God. Every beat that your heart is making is sustained and held together by God. The laws of physics are really just our way of describing how Jesus is holding the world together in order. This is what it means when Paul says, in him all things hold together. Jesus is currently, right now as we speak, holding this universe together. And again, in this verse, you read that Jesus is before all things. Paul is emphasizing again that Jesus is the source of all creation. He holds all creation together, and he existed before any created being was here, any created thing was here. Instead of Arius, who wrongly went around saying there was a time when he was not referring to Jesus, you should rightly say there was never a time when the Son of God uh, was not. Jesus always was. And this reminds us of Revelation 22, verse 13, where it describes Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He was in the beginning, and he will live forever. He is eternal. Jesus is Lord over his creation, sustaining it and governing it, controlling it. And Paul goes on to remind the Colossians that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. The chief shepherd is Jesus, the scriptures tell us. He is the one who has ultimate say over his church that he bought with his own blood. Those who hold offices like pastor or elder, they're under-shepherds of Jesus, is the way the scripture tells it. They have been given that role as leaders and managers of the church by Jesus. But they should submit to Christ. You as church members should be looking to see if your pastors and leaders are submitting themselves to Christ. Do they submit themselves to the word of God, teaching it and obeying it? Or are they just doing things their own way? You want pastors who are just as much submitting and serving to Jesus as you also should be submitting and serving Jesus. He is our king. He is our head. But there's more implied here than I think just this. The church is not what you might normally think of it, uh, maybe as a building or as a group of people. It is those things, but the church is the beginning of the new redeemed humanity. One day, all things in heaven and earth 
will be renewed and redeemed and restored by Jesus. And all tongues and languages and people and nation will be part of Jesus' kingdom. The church is the beginning of that new kingdom. Some call church gatherings kingdom outposts. They're these little starts of this kingdom to come. So saying that Jesus is head of the church is also pointing us forward to the day when Jesus will reign as the singular king over his kingdom that has no rivals. The scriptures go on to say that Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. Do you see how Paul is exalting Christ, extolling him and praising him and lifting up to the place that he rightly deserves? Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. He deserves glory and honor and praise. And we remember and celebrate on uh, this morning each week on Sunday, the Lord's Day, that Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we meet and, and celebrate on Sunday. But this uh, resurrection wasn't meant to be just a single isolated incident, a one-time thing. No, Jesus rose to give us salvation. We shouldn't just think, and that's it. It was that, but it's more than that. Jesus was the first fruits, the first taste, the appetizer of what was to come. He rose, and he so guarantees our future resurrection. When Paul says to the Colossians that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, they know what he's pointing to. That Jesus' resurrection guarantees that one day we will be resurrected to be with him. To live in Jesus' kingdom forever. Just like how an appetizer or a down payment is not meant to be the thing itself. It's meant to promise that a lot more is coming. Jesus' resurrection, which not only erased our penalty of sin and purifies us, that he pays the penalty that we owe to God, but Jesus' resurrection also is the promise of much more life and joy to come in the resurrection. From there, Paul moves on to give confidence in Christ as our Savior. We read in Colossians 1, starting in verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I think the first things in these verses that might stand out to us is this fullness of God was pleased to dwell phrase. What does it mean that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ? This is teaching that Christ is the same essence as the Father. He is eternal. He shares in all the divine attributes of God. He's holy. He's omniscient. But I think there's more going on here. Yes, Paul is emphasizing for the Colossians that Jesus is the incarnate God, but you will learn as you continue to study the book of Colossians of the vain philosophies and empty teachings and false teachings that uh, Paul's warning the church not to partake in pastorally pointing them, don't go in that direction, that's, that's not good. Empty philosophies in Colossae were abounding. And these philosophies would say that you need something more to your faith, 
to experience and benefit of the fullness of God. To gain this fullness of God, you need to be full of some kind of spiritual being or some kind of spiritual wisdom. That's how you experience the fullness of God is what these teachings were saying. So yeah, the Colossian church has Jesus and that's all well and good. That's a good start. But they need something more to round out their faith. But Paul here is saying, no, that's foolishness. Come on. The fullness of God, everything you need for godliness, everything you need to understand who God is, everything you need to walk in holiness is in Jesus. If you want to know the Father, you learn about Jesus. You go to the scriptures and learn about Jesus and you see the Father. If you want to experience and know the Father, you experience Jesus. He images the Father perfectly. Paul pushes against these Colossian heresies, saying that Jesus alone is the source of their faith, that Jesus alone is all you need to experience the fullness of God. And it is Jesus who is reconciling all things to himself. I think we can spend a lot of time meditating on how Christ is our personal Savior. And that's good. Don't misunderstand me here. That's very good. And we want to continue doing that. But there is much more to this story than you and me. Jesus is not only reconciling us to God, although he is doing that if you believe and trust in him, in faith, but Jesus is also reconciling the entire world to himself. All things will be made new by Jesus. We learn that at the end of Revelation, that there is a new heaven and a new earth that's not like the old one. And how is it not like the old? Jesus has removed all pain and sickness and death from the world. And he's making a holy people to be good and just and righteous. And he rules over this kingdom with true justice and righteousness. No deceit, no lying, no scandals. How refreshing would that be if we had a government with no lying and no scandals? Paul is encouraging the Colossians with the future vision of Jesus restoring all things. The false teachers won't restore all things. The Colossians and you need to cling to Jesus because it's in him that you gain new life. It's in him that all the world uh, will be redeemed. It's in him alone that you find salvation to be right with God and to be counted in his kingdom. You don't and you can't get that from these false teachings and vain philosophies. Well, the other side of the news that we have to talk about is what this does not mean. What does that Jesus reconciling all, all things to himself not include or mean? And it does not include or mean that all people will one day be saved. Paul is in no way saying here that in reconciling all things to himself, it means that every person will one day ultimately be saved and be in Jesus' kingdom. There is simply too much in the New Testament about hell. That if you reject Christ, you will go to a place called outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place described as where the worm never dies. And there are too many judgment passages upon Paul's own writing to confuse this to be saying that Paul is now teaching that everyone will be saved no matter what. Many will refuse Jesus and go on to bear 
their own sins in eternal punishment. But, that's a great word in scripture, but there's more to the story. But the good news is that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, clings to him as the source of their faith, will be saved from their sins. That in Jesus' death on the cross, paying the penalty that sin deserves, drinking the cup of the wrath of God that we rightly deserved, that if we confess and believe in Jesus in faith and call upon his name, trusting in him, seeking to obey him, you will be saved. Will you believe? If you are not already putting your faith in Christ, will you consider him this morning? This vision of the reconciled kingdom where Jesus rules with perfect justice, where you no longer have pain or sickness or doubt or deception, that is open if you would believe today. But if anyone will continue to refuse Jesus, the scriptures are very clear that this kingdom vision will not be yours. Paul has given this beautiful hymn of who Jesus is. And that not only helps the Colossians to understand truth from deception, from heresy or vain philosophies, to help them understand what a true penny is and what a wood chip is. It helps you see Christ more clearly. But you shouldn't just read this and learn about Jesus and log the facts in your brain and say, okay, I see that there's evidences that there was a man named Jesus and this all adds up, so I academically agree that, that that is true. This hymn should move you to praise and exalt Jesus. The creator who has given you life, who is sustaining you right now. And you should seek to submit yourself to Christ as the king, as the head of the church, as the Lord over all of this creation. You don't make the rules. He makes the rules. You don't have the right to decide what's good and evil. Jesus has every right to decide what's good and evil because he created all things. He is good. He is the source of all wisdom. Finally, you find renewed confidence and zeal in Christ as our Savior. Christ has reconciled you to himself through his death. And he will one day reconcile all things to himself. You will live in a kingdom that is beautiful, that is peaceful, that is perfect, and you will get to experience Jesus every day, getting to talk with him and walk with him and be friends with him. And that good news should encourage your hearts as you endure the difficulties of this world, the difficulties of this week, because you know that though they, we are facing these short momentary trials, there is an eternity of joy and life with Christ awaiting you. And this also compels you to be zealous in sharing this good news with everyone so that they would know who Jesus is, that they wouldn't miss out on this beautiful kingdom that Jesus is reconciling to himself, that no one would miss the beauty and sufficiency of Jesus simply because we didn't tell them of his majesty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.